When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ten True Creepy Camping Stories Number 1 I talked to an older gentleman that was a big game hunter. We went out to Wyoming, don't remember what he was hunting, with a bunch of friends. They had set up a plan to start at a specific spot and walk parallel at different angles about a half a mile apart, just in case if something happened, they can send out a warning signal if they needed help. Well, this guy started walking for a couple of miles and was only seeing small animals, but he got to a point where he wasn't hearing anything. No birds, no scurrying animals, nothing. He said it just felt unreal. It was never that quiet before and gave him goosebumps. Finally, he had heard a noise behind him and he didn't even turn his head fully to see a grizzly bear running at him at full speed. He got mauled. Luckily, his friend was behind him and was able to shoot the thing. He was minutes away from dying in those woods, but remarkably survived. The most creepy part was that his friend watched this grizzly stalk him for miles, but didn't do anything. Number 2 Okay, so I've only gotten drunk once in my life. Hubby took me camping up into the Blue Mountains. We drank two bottles of awful tasting wine and proceeded to ramble about how I felt like I was dreaming. Anyway, night goes on, drunk sex is had, and eventually I had to retire to my tent. It's maybe one in the morning, and I just can't sleep. I had to pee. We'd set up the tents, plural, because he snores. We set them up about 30 meters or 100 feet from a little toilet in the campground. I'm looking around for my flashlight when I hear it. This god-awful howl. And not just one either. There were maybe three or four. The sound was distant at first, but it was getting closer. It wasn't exactly like a wolf howl, but almost. I don't know if you guys have heard of skinwalkers, but it sounds like what I'd imagine one of those sounds like. The problem is, I'm super drunk, and I have to go. There's just no way around it. Eventually, my dumbass decided that the safest thing to do was drunkenly stumble to the bathroom. In the dark. Now, because I have no flashlight, I'm invisible, right? I can distinctly recall thinking to myself as I was walking, there's no way I'd do this if I wasn't this drunk. All the while, the howls are getting closer, the sound mingling with rustling in the bushes. Of course, it's dark as hell in there and I can't see, so I don't bother trying to look. 
I end up surviving the trip to the toilet and back with only minor abrasions to my obstacle finders, my knees, and I woke up with a gnarly hangover the following morning. I got home and I googled dingo howls because, you know, wouldn't it be hilarious if those were dingoes? Thinking I might have imagined the whole thing. But it wasn't. I heard something else entirely. And it sounded human. Number 3. I was on a road trip with my brother. We were checking out the redwoods of northern coastal California. It was a few days into the drive and we had driven north through Shasta, up into Oregon and then west to the coast. We were following the coast south. Earlier that night, we had arrived in a small coastal town with a very run-down vibe to it. It was quickly getting dark. We had wasted a bit of time on the pier watching the sea lions on the rocks and trying to find a restaurant to eat our first meal in days that wasn't from a gas station. We were planning on finding a nice secluded spot on the beach to sleep, as we'd been cooped up in the car for days. As we drove deeper into the heart of the town, the atmosphere began to shift and become more ominous. The whole town had a very underwhelming vibe to it, and the few people we passed all eyed us suspiciously. Even though it was very early evening, there were no other cards on the roads, and many of the shops were boarded up. The few streetlights scattered around seemed to not be working, and all the gas stations were boarded up, the gas pumps having long since run dry. The air had a heavy, oppressive feeling to it, and as night settled, we decided to give up on finding a restaurant, and to move along and put some miles between us and the town before we slept. We were the only car on the highway. And leaving the town, I found myself habitually checking my rearview mirror, unable to shake the lingering feeling that we were being chased, although I could see nothing behind us but blackness. Now I'm not sure how far we drove before we found a break between the rocks and a clear view of soft sand, but after driving so many hours, it seemed as good a place as any to stop. When I stepped out of the car, though, to get a better look there, it was a heavy feeling of wrongness. The wind had picked up, and the air had become so heavy, it felt solid. It was difficult to breathe. The ocean stretched before us for endless miles, but it seemed as thick and dark and still as oil. The sand felt cold and alien, that it was easy to imagine I was on a different planet. I couldn't even smell the ocean, the air was so thick and heavy. The clouds had come in, and I couldn't see a single star. Standing outside of the car, I felt very vulnerable and watched, even though we were alone. I opened the back door to let my dog out, but she would not come out of the car. Now, my dog is no puppy. She's older and lives for road trips and hikes. She's a larger pit bull and doesn't have an aggressive bone in her body, but I guess she looks scary enough that many people give her weary looks and pull their dogs away from us when we walk. She's neurotic as hell and scared of her own shadow, 
but I've never seen her unwilling to venture off into the darkness and the unknown before. Eventually, I coaxed her out, where she found a spot to squat in the wavering circle of the headlights of the car, before slinking back into the car and throwing herself inside. Now at this point, the wind was strong enough to whip my hair in front of my face and tear at my clothes, and I thought I could feel the first icy drops of rain, though it could have been sea spray. We decided to forego our plans of setting up our sleeping bags on the sand, and I climbed back into the car. It was only reluctantly that I turned off my car's headlights, and we were enveloped in darkness. My eyes were slow to adjust, and I kept finding my gaze traveling out to the inky still blackness of the ocean, maybe 200 feet from where I was parked. I must have checked the doors were locked a hundred times, and the windows of the car seemed like portals into space, and I could hear the dog shivering quietly in the back seat. As my eyes adjusted, I noticed shapes on the beach. Pieces of driftwood washed ashore, but in the darkness, it was all too easy to imagine monsters swept up from the sea dragging themselves closer on boneless arms and surrounding the car. One large piece seemed to even be looking straight at us, over the dunes, with several dark spots resembling eyes. I told myself over and over again that it was driftwood, and I finally fell into an uneasy sleep, waking many times and trying to find the shape in the darkness to assure myself it hadn't moved. When I woke up, the eerie feeling was mostly gone. The sky was still cloudy and gray, pregnant with the rain that wouldn't come. It seemed less close and heavy. It seemed like a normal rainy day, soft gray light filtering through the clouds. The sea was no longer still, and gentle waves sloshed against the shore. There were a handful of seabirds near the water's edge, and the driftwood was once again just a part of the scenery, holding no threat. Now, my brother even pointed to the largest one that I had been eyeing suspiciously last night. Look, it's a seal, he proclaimed, laughing off our uneasiness of the night before. I could see the dark spots, if mistaken for eyes the night before, and insisted that it was just driftwood. It was maybe about 150 feet from us, no, it's looking right at us, he'd insisted, charging ahead toward it. As we got closer, I saw that it was in fact a seal, but the eyes seemed wrong. From so far away, it was hard to pinpoint what was wrong, but something was definitely off about the eyes. I called out a warning to him, jogging a little to catch up. It was large, at least five feet long, perhaps a little bigger, and it seemed impossibly round. It was definitely dead, though I couldn't see a single mark on it that indicated how it had died. The tide had moved out as I slept, erasing any marks from where it had dragged itself to shore, along with any indication of what had killed it. Its eyes were completely removed pecked out by the birds we'd noticed by the water. Without a word, 
We headed back to the car and left the area, not stopping again until we put a hundred miles between ourselves and that strange town with that weird little beach. Number four. I grew up in Iowa. From a young age, I spent a lot of time in the woods along the river near my hometown. I would draw maps of the terrain and explore all day. Now I know those woods like the back of my hand. I know every rock, every tree, every sandbar of the river. One year, I went for a walk in September during a weekend home from college. I was headed for one of my favorite spots. It's a hill that provided a good overlook over the river valley. When I left the field into the timber, I started feeling uneasy, checking over my shoulder, imagining sounds, the classic feeling of being watched, but it stopped when I got to the overlook. After an hour of enjoying myself, I started for home. That feeling returned very soon after entering the timber. I picked up my pace and rushed to the field. About three miles, it wasn't very far. After I was free of the brush, I stood and watched into the trees, just trying to figure out why I felt so uneasy. Now again, I grew up out here. At this point, I'd been to many wilderness areas. I've had bear encounters, moose, deer, a bunch of things. I'm known as a mountain man type. The next summer, I was speaking with the farmers around, and they informed me that a mountain lion had been seen twice in the river valley. Not uncommon for that area of Iowa. We get bears every couple of years, even a real righteous moose back in 91. I figure that mountain lion was with me that day the year before. That was the day I learned what it felt like to be hunted. Number 5 I was up in bear country around a reservoir. We had a great campsite all alone. Unimproved, meaning it was a place people have camped at before, but by no means built in or official. We had an incredible view. It was just my girlfriend and I. We had food we cooked by the fire and eventually headed off to bed in a three-man tent, so not a ton of space to go around. I had brought a shotgun and a rifle, both with rounds capable of stopping an average bear, but I didn't want to find out for sure. So after we were asleep for about 20 minutes or so, probably about 11pm, I start to hear things moving around as I'm woken up, thinking that this really isn't too big of a deal. I try to go back to sleep, thinking that it's probably just a deer or a smaller animal passing by. I start to hear noises again, and this time, they're closer and more distinct, almost like how a person sounds in the woods. The nearest people we knew of were at least a few miles away, and would not easily be able to get to us or our car, which I should mention was probably about a hundred yards or so from the campsite. It wouldn't make it all the way up the faint rocky road, so at this point, knowing that we just can't run, and bears are notorious in the area, I remember that our food is sealed away with the fire essentially out, but the sealed cooler was about twenty yards from our tent. It couldn't be, 
There's no way they could smell anything in it. So what was walking around? Maybe I just screwed up and they could smell it. I leaned over to open up the little zip window and saw nothing and went back to sleep. Within less than a minute of laying down, I hear something run its hands, paws, or whatever else along the walls of our tent. I was scared at this point. I tried to ward off the intruders with the sound of my shotgun loading. But not only does it not stop, but it starts to make weird noises all around. My girlfriend wakes up at this point. She's frozen in her position, absolutely about to cry. Realizing that our only choices are flight or fight, I rip open the door to the tent with a gun in hand and find literally nothing anywhere at all. We left as soon as we could, and to this day, I have no idea what it was, but it was so vivid, couldn't have just been the wind or my imagination. I guess it sounds like one of those, you would have had to been there stories, but believe me, in the middle of nowhere, it's absolutely terrifying. Number 6 I helped run a scout group and a few years back we had a large district camp to celebrate the anniversary of scouting. We were about 20 scout groups camping, cubs, scouts, ventures, etc. In the neighboring campsite to us, there were two cub packs and it was clear that the leaders were not very experienced campers and I ended up helping them out a lot over the first day. By the end of the second day, I noticed that one of the female cub leaders, 30-something, was getting a bit over-friendly with me, bordering on flirtatious. Now, I'm happily married and not interested, so I paid no attention to it, and I did nothing to encourage her. That night, I went to bed in my tent, fell asleep, I woke up about 12.30 in the morning, needing to take a piss. Now, being a bloke, I got up and wandered over to the wooded area behind our site and found a convenient tree. As I walked back, I could just see in the dark someone approaching my tent. As I got closer, I could see that it was the female leader. But as I was in the shadows of the trees, she couldn't see me. So I stopped where I was. She walks around to the back of the tent and calls me by my name a couple of times. I was just about to walk up to her as I wondered if there was a problem. When she took off her coat and stood there, buck-ass naked. Before unzipping the rear of my tent and crawling in. It's a small two-man tent. and She was whispering my name. I stood where I was wondering what to do, but I decided just to wait. She stayed in there for 20 minutes waiting for me before coming out, picking up her coat, and going back to her campsite. Number 7 I wouldn't call it true camping, but we went to a site in the Czech Republic at a riverside. It was a cold and wet evening, we had considerable difficulty getting a fire started, but by one in the morning we found ourselves drunk 
and warm at a fire. As we joked and carried on, a dark figure emerges from the tree line. Before we even have time to register who or what it is, it steps into the firelight and is revealed to be a woman. We offer nervous greetings in both Czech and English, but she gives no response. She simply sits on the ground by the fire and begins warming her hands. After several attempts at conversation in any language, we simply give up and continue carrying on as if she wasn't there. Now it's wet out, and if she had trouble starting her own fire, we don't mind if she shares ours. So we continue as we were, but as the time goes on and I continue taking looks at her from the corner of my eye, I notice something absolutely bizarre. She's wearing a longish t-shirt, which had gone down to her upper thighs while standing. Though her legs had been exposed, I assume that she just had short shorts on. This was not the case. Sitting on the ground, I realize she is wearing literally no bottom. Her legs are crossed and I'm staring straight into the depths, if you know what I mean. I slide my eyes to my friends and recognize that several of them had recently come to the same realization. We continue to not acknowledge her presence for about 20 minutes more until she stands up, nods her head at us without a word, and simply walks back into the tree line from which she came. It was strange, mainly because we never saw a hint of expression or even an attempt at any language. I can only assume that she still lurks in the forest to this day. Number 8 I was 12 miles deep into the grizzly corridors in Jasper National Park. It was freezing out and me and my friend were the only ones at the same backcountry campsite. We had been warned that grizzlies had been spotted in the valley the day before, and as such, I was carrying bear mace. I was pretty nervous about the bears, especially since we had five days worth of food with us, and we were literally the only ones out there for miles and miles. I figured, well, we're safe for the night though, since we put all our food in a bear bag, and hung it far away from our tent. I put the bear mace next to my pillow just in case, and as we settled into our sleeping bags and silently drifted off to sleep for the night, we heard a tree crash. My eyes bolt open. I don't move an inch. It's completely black. My ears are straining. Did I imagine that? No, definitely not. Something had just scraped across the rain fly. I feel an incredible feeling of dread as my brain immediately jumps to the most likely reason that something would be scraping up against my tent. My fingers find their way to the bear mace and I grip it tightly against my chest and I start shivering. I listen for footsteps outside for grunting or anything really to let my poor senses know what the hell is happening outside of this death trap of a tent that I'm now stuck in. I can't hear anything though, because my heart is pounding in my ears like a goddamn drum. 
I try to gain mastery of myself, but I've never felt a fear so powerful before. It was hard to move, it was hard to even think. I whispered to my friend who was right beside me. Did you hear that? She just stirs and asks, Hear what? Shh. I think something just touched the tent. There's no food in here. We're fine. Go back to sleep. Yeah, okay. And I take solace in the fact that my friend is probably right. The grizzly wouldn't necessarily care about us unless it could smell food in the tent. And I heard it again. My stomach drops out as a raw and primal fear replaces any thoughts or emotions I once had. This time, it came from the other side of the tent. My friend calmly asks, Was that you? No, I whisper back. Oh, hell. We heard it again. Now me and my friend start losing our shit. We huddle in the middle of the tent together away from the edges. I have the bear mace ready to go, but I'm so fucking scared. I don't think I could hit anything, even if I weren't stuck inside a tent. And then, it falls completely silent outside. And we just sat there, listening. We don't move an inch for what feels like a goddamned eternity. And I suddenly become acutely aware that my bladder is about to burst. I have to pee so bad. But I hold it in for as long as I can. I'm going to check to see if it's gone. I'm going to piss myself if I don't get out of here. I told her. I get my headlamp and the mace ready. And slowly ease the tent zipper open. I pause for another few moments to listen, but there was nothing. I turn on my light and open the rain fly in one quick motion with the mace in front of me. And all I see is freshly fallen snow covering the ground. The pieces all fall into place, and relief floods through me. I start laughing uncontrollably, while my friend keeps asking me, What is it? Why are you laughing? And I flop on my back and kick the top of the tent. But then we heard it yet again. We hear it from all sides as the rest of the fresh snow that had built up on top of the rainfly during the night came scraping down the sides. You have got to be kidding me, my friend says before collapsing into her own little giggle fit. Oh, you know, we're fucking idiots, I say with a big ass smile on my face before throwing my shoes on and sprinting to go take a piss. Number 9 I was around 4 years old at this time. My parents are avid campers, but you see, they camp in luxury. My dad is deaf, and each year he and many of his deaf friends that he went to school with get together and they all take their RVs to various campgrounds and spend some time together. This particular camping trip, the day was winding to a close, and my dad and a few of his friends built a campfire. Now, many of my dad's friends started pulling their chairs close so that they could sign to one another via the light of the fire. Being a little kid, I wanted to make s'mores, so someone gave me a stick with a marshmallow on it, without really knowing that I had never roasted a marshmallow before. 
I stuck the thing right into the flames, and as you can imagine, it was very quickly engulfed into a ball of fire. Being four, I had no idea how to put it out, and so my first reaction was to wildly start waving the stick back and forth, up and down. Now almost immediately, before any of the parents could react, this flaming marshmallow flew off the stick and smacked me right in the center of my forehead, essentially covering my face in molten goo that is rapidly streaming down towards my eyes. Everyone around me flipped out. My mom, who can hear, is screaming for help at the top of her lungs. I'm being grabbed by like four or five different sets of hands trying to scrape this thing off my head or pour water on me. The only other hearing woman in my parents' group of friends was in her RV at the time, and her husband, who is deaf, was standing in the doorway. She motions for him to move out of her way when she heard my mother screaming, but he didn't understand what was going on so she eventually just tackles him out of the door of the RV and ran across her site to ours with her entire cooler of ice water in hand when she realized what was going on. I essentially had to be dunked into this cooler head first by all these adults to put the marshmallow out. Luckily, I escaped the incident with very minor burns that have essentially left no scarring as an adult. It's one of those stories that has followed me my entire life. Hey, you remember that time when Benjamin Victorious lit his head on fire with a flaming marshmallow? And at first it used to annoy me, but now I wear it like a badge of honor. Number 10. There's a number of strange things that can happen when you're miles away from civilization. My Boy Scout patrol had been hiking along a poorly marked trail in the middle of a dense forest, and were all feeling pretty tired. The scenery was nice, of course, and nobody had any particularly pressing complaints. But given that we were on our third day of non-stop backpacking, everybody was ready for a rest. After coming to an absolute perfect campsite, nestled between a steep cliff face and a small lake, we decided to take a day-long break for some relaxation, and every one of the assembled boys found something with which to occupy themselves. The sun eventually started its descent toward the western horizon, and we all assembled around the campfire for a meal, some storytelling, and the liberal use of gratuitous naughty language. Laughs were had, appetites were satiated, and it wasn't until very late in the evening that we finally made preparations for bed. This involved, as any veteran camper can attest, stringing our food up into bear bags, completely dousing our fire, and making sure that we had ample supplies of water for any potential emergencies. With these tasks completed, two of my friends and I, the last ones awake, finally made our way to our sleeping bags. Now less than a half an hour later, a storm unlike any we had seen before broke out. Now imagine laying in a tent and watching flashes of lightning illuminate the thin walls while hearing apparently endless rolls of thunder reverberate through the air. We'd all witnessed similar phenomena, of course, 
but something about this instance was different somehow. The strike seemed to be occurring a long way off, but their continuous nature bordered on unbelievable. Furthermore, the chaotic weather was suspiciously unoccupied by any presence of rain, which is what eventually prompted the three of us to head out and admire the heavens. Upon leaving our tent, we discovered that we had slightly misinterpreted the situation. What we had mistaken for lightning was actually the spontaneous reignition of our campfire, the flames of which were dancing happily through the piles of sand we had dumped in it. The thunder, meanwhile, was eventually found to be coming from our scoutmaster's side of the campsite, and with barely suppressed laughter, my friends and I determined that we'd been hearing the sounds of a comically loud snoring. We quickly doused the fire again, taking care to make sure that it was really out this time, refilled the water, and then made our way back to bed, each of us swearing that we wouldn't be discussing the evening events with anyone. Now, of course, we kept that promise for all of 15 seconds after waking up. Accusing our scoutmaster of sounding like thunder was just too entertaining to pass up.